0: Welcome back to Real Voices of Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino. I'm joined here with my co-host, Mark Wiley and Will George. They're the stars of the show here at Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. Guys, welcome back to the show. We've got a great guest today, as usual. You guys always deliver with the guests and always have some lively conversation. Uh, Chris and I had a great talk yesterday off the air, and I can't wait for this one. And Just for our audience, our normal time of 45 minutes, you want, may want to buckle up for this one. We may go a little longer today. So... Um, before we do, though, and before, Mark, I have you introduce Chris, want to just thank our audience right now. We are now 80 subscribers shy of 13,000, so we're, we're getting close to that number. We keep growing week by week. I want to thank you guys for your support. Continue to download, listen, like, subscribe so we get credit for it. You can follow follow us on the podcast networks at Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher, and please continue to reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, Facebook posts. I do a question of the day every morning. This morning we got 201 questions in my inbox. I didn't. I don't even have 201 friends yet, but I'm getting 201 questions in the inbox. So, uh, but I try to answer one online every day, and then I get back to everybody individually throughout the course of the day. So, thank you for that. And with that, uh, Will, I know you're on assignment down there in spring training. I hope you're enjoying it, and you can give yeah. us some feedback on the rule changes, how that's looking. And then, uh, and Mark, welcome, welcome back too, and we'll have you introduce Chris right now.
1: Great. Well, our guest is Chris Widger, a uh, 10-year veteran of a Major League Baseball. Um, he's a New Jersey boy from Pennsville Memorial High School in Pennsville. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, yeah, come on, Will. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he went to Georgia Mason University, where he was the third round pick for the Seattle Mariners in 1992. Um, played 10 seasons in the Major Leagues. Uh, uh, side note: He played for Lou Pinella, Philippe Lou, Joe Torre, Tony LaRussa, and Ozzie Gian, which is uh, quite a different uh, different guys. Very successful managers, uh, different philosophies. Uh, premiered uh, and debuted in 1995 with the Mariners. Uh, played with them in 95, 96. Then was traded to the Montreal Expos where he played with them from 97 to 2000 um, got traded back to the Seattle Mariners in 2000 um, I guess they they must have said hey we made a mistake um, 2001 missed the season with shoulder surgery through 2002 with the New York Yankees 2003 st. Louis Cardinals 2004 went back to independent ball with the Camden River river sharks before he returned to the white Sox, stayed with the white Sox in 2005 through 2006 and then during 2006 season went to the baltimore orioles so he played for a few different organizations um had a great career in the major leagues Uh, after this after the major league career was over he became a coach and manager of the minor leagues um he was a pitching coach from 2012 to 2014 to the Camden River Sharks at Independent League. In 2016, he went to work for the Kansas City Royals. Uh, through 2019, as a bench coach for for Wilmington Blue Rocks. Uh, 2020, he managed the Blue Rocks. 2021, he moved to High A to manage the Quad City River Bandits, all with Kansas City. In 2022. He went to A with Northwest Arkansas Naturals, also with Kansas City. Um, he is now the uh, manager of the Sus- Sussex County Miners in the Frontier League. Um, he had some accomplishments, which I think are, are significant. Um, in his first game that he caught in the big leagues in 1995, he caught a shutout, which I would venture to say there have not been too many catchers go to the big leagues in their first game. Catch a complete uh, a, a a shutout. Two thousand five, he was on the World Championship team of the Chicago White Sox. Two thousand twenty one, uh, as a manager, he won the Central League Championship with Quad Cities, and then and was also named Manager of the Year. A side note, which I I just came up with, is for four years from nineteen ninety eight to two thousand, he hit double figures in home runs. Um, with the Montreal Expos for four years in a row, when he was really used as a regular more, I think that should have told everybody to use you more as a regular than a backup. Uh, seeing how you really performed those those four years, we're great. We're really happy to have you, Chris. I know you're going to have some great insights, and we've got some what I think are some good uh, questions to to stimulate you into giving us some of your knowledge.
2: Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Um, this is something that for the last, I guess, at least five years, um, we sit in, in my office uh, after games and just scratch our heads into what we're doing and, and second guess the fact that do we even know the game of baseball anymore? Um, so I'm looking forward to talking about it.
1: Great, great. You know, we... Uh... You know, we have a lot of guests on this show. We're all kind of old school, not that we don't think that, do, that we're we're open-minded to some new ideas, but sometimes these ideas get carried away and people get given – they're given responsibilities that maybe they're not ready to have. And uh, and And I know you ran into that, and a lot of guys have ran into that as far as managing in the minor leagues. You know, let's go back to your playing days when you – you played for a lot of successful managers, are are there? I don't know if you want to go each guy, but um, what are some of the things you learned from those guys that helped you as a manager and maybe made you more aware as a player? Uh,
2: the The best the best managers I ever had, and it goes back to um, you know the other day, Steve Smith, who was my. a triple-A manager in Tacoma in 1996, I think it was. Uh, I talked to him for the first time in 20-some years. Um, He was trying to talk to me about a a guy that he has that could possibly help our team in Sussex. And he was talking about how, you know, when he finally got to the big leagues and he thought it was going to be whatever it was going to be, but the longer he got in there, uh, the more he saw how the game changed. And he started to talk about, you know, what – what are we doing? Like, are, are we still teaching? What are our responsibilities? And um, I started thinking about it and the manager now, especially in the minor leagues, and I'm assuming in the big leagues, I haven't been there um, as a coach, but uh, it, everything is so compartmentalized. It's like hitting you do your thing and fielding you do your thing and base running is different and defense is different. And the pitching is totally separate and the managers are kind of pushed off to a you're just kind of overseeing stuff, but you don't have a say because you're not smart enough to understand pitching. You're not smart enough to understand the, the analytics of it. You're not smart enough to understand why we're stealing, how we're stealing. So um, I, I probably learned when I played probably as much or more from my minor league managers than I did for my major league managers. But the whole thing comes down to the best managers are the guys that, that communicate and, that the guys are comfortable talking to, whether good or bad. Um, And there's not a whole lot of communication in baseball anymore.
1: No, I think you're right. The, the, uh, you know, people are either, uh, like you said, they they don't feel like they have enough expertise or they're, they're given the impression they, they, they don't have enough expertise. Um, And, and, you know, leadership all comes from the top, you know, every good manager, probably has a good general manager who trusts him and allows him to make mistakes. I mean, make decisions, uh, good or bad. And, uh, you know, that doesn't happen as much now. There's more protect thyself uh, mentality. And, uh, and I think because of that you know, some managers get caught up in that, they get caught up in the, I'm going to please my general manager. I'll be able to keep my job rather than just do your job the way you think is best and, and hope for the best, you know, like, uh, they used to say, you know, when managers used to complain when I played um, about players they had or this and that. I, you know, people used to tell them, "Well, you go to the general manager. You tell them you don't. You need a left fielder uh, because if you want me to win, I need that." And you know, you you very rarely have that kind of communication between the upper levels and management now.
2: It, it it has it. It's it even changed in the seven seven plus years I was with Kansas city. You know, uh, I was lucky enough, Dayton Moore, who was the GM and president in Kansas city. Um, I went to college with him at George Mason, um, JJ Piccolo. We went to college together at George Mason, Lonnie Goldberg, who was a senior vice president over there. So we were all, the communication used to be really good. And when Dayton was the president running everything, it was, you know, it's about your managers first in the minor leagues. It's, it's about everything's going to run through your managers. Everybody's going to communicate. Everybody's going to be on the same page. Uh, And as ownership changes and as different people come in and start running things, um, baseball gets away from that. So you get away, you get into, I'm protecting my turf. Like I'm the base running guy and I don't care what the situation is in the game. My guys are going to steal bases and we're going to do this and, We're not teaching them the game of baseball, when to steal, how to steal, who you steal against. We're teaching, just get attempts, just go. We just want numbers so we can put it in, in in our Excel spreadsheet to make it look good. We're not teaching guys, you know, when is it okay to walk a guy? When is it okay to throw a three, two slider? Um, and, And so we're not teaching them anything. We're not teaching them baseball. We're just teaching them to play to a bunch of numbers. And at the end of the year, Hey, if you have a, six ERA and, but your spin rates are up and your extension's good and your slots good and your connectivity is good. And then, Hey, good year. Well, take that to the arbitrator. Hey, you know what? I was terrible, but man, look at my numbers. I was pretty good. Can I get more money?
3: You know, Chris, you just made so many great points early on about the minor league managers and coaches that taught us how to play and Um, when we played and, and, and years ago, when I coached, when guys got to the big leagues, they were truly ready to be in the big leagues. We were rushing guys without teaching the way we used to. And, and, you know, David mentioned earlier about feedback on the games down here. Well, first two days, I had a 228 and a 233. Well, there were competent pitchers throwing strikes that knew how to pitch a little bit. So the game moved along. Well the last three days I've been over three three hours again, and that's with the clock because every pitcher it shouldn't even be in big league camp. Why like I, I, I sit and watch and I go, Why are they inviting this guy who can't throw strikes with his fastball, let alone command it, to a big league game that somebody paid thirty-five dollars for a good seat to watch? And, 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 and the game turns into a high school game after the starters come out. And, and and that's tough to watch. And I talked to one of your former colleagues, Steve Luber, about that yesterday. We're, we're good friends as well as Mark is with Steve, and you know him. And, you know, he just said, you know, they, they all think it's so easy to play in the big leagues, and they just go, well, you know, he's a prospect. Take him to the big leagues. No, he doesn't know how to play the big league game.
2: It, it's a totally different game. Um, you know, it's, it's on, on one, on one side of the coin, you're trying to teach the guys that it's the same game, no matter what, you know, it's still 60 feet, six inches. And the bases are still 90 feet and, and you, it's still the same game. But at this, at, at the other point, like you're not going to, you know, a bounce a two O slider up there and have a big league hitter just swing at it.
3: No,
2: you no. know, so all those, you know, where it shows, Hey, look at his numbers. Look, his numbers are great and the swing and miss rate is great. But as you move up, that swing and miss rate is going to go down so much because the hitters get better. Right. Well, yeah. so there becomes a point where the pitcher like y- you have to make pitches. It, it, I don't care what your spin rate is or your vert or your horizontal and all this yeah. other stuff. That, all that's great. But can you make a pitch or can't you make a pitch? Because at the end of the day, if you make a pitch and it's at 91, you get an out. And if you don't make a pitch at 96, it's a walk or it's a hit.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. We talk,
2: it's, well. Go ahead, Will.
3: No, I, I was just saying, we talk all the time on here that, you know, we're always chasing that end product without building the foundation that is, we know as veteran people is going to give you the, the end product, but we have no foundation to get it. We have bad deliveries. We have guys who don't have any idea or any feel for what they're doing to make an adjustment within themselves during a game because they're trying to do something they're really not capable of, which is to throw harder in the strike zone. You know, I don't know how many times I write, this guy tops out at 97, but he actually throws strikes at 93, 94.
2: That's right. Right. So you
3: know, you're much better off doing that than you are uh, throwing a gaudy fastball and turning around and looking at the thing on the scoreboard and going, wow, I'm throwing hard today. Who cares?
0: You're a every like hitter. It's like hiring a lawyer for the number of words he knows. They've got to learn how to use them to get, yeah. you, get yeah. you. Let me ask you you three guys. I've got two pitchers and a catcher um, on with us here and there's disconnects all the way around the diamond. We've kind of touched on a number of them, starting with that pitcher and catcher to me, the most important relationship on the field. There's an obvious disconnect out there with calling pitches, um, understanding game situations, as you mentioned, well, throwing strikes at an appropriate speed, prioritizing that. What things are preventing the pitcher catcher communication relationship to be how it was when it, when it was at its height, when, when, um, there was communication, there was calling game. What, what things are standing in the way, Chris? Uh,
2: number one, <laughs> catchers, when they get to pro ball, uh, I'm going to make up a number here because I don't know the exact percentage, but I would guess 75 to 80% of catchers have never called their own game.
3: Maybe Every, even higher. Maybe even uh, higher. It's,
2: you're talking right. going back to Little League. Uh, so – they don't know why they're calling pitches they're just calling pitches and so what do you see on tv pitchers throw 20 sliders you know it nobody on 2 outs in the third inning and you're throwing a 20 slider to a guy to me that's that's pitching away from contact and that's that's right. like fear like you're afraid fear. but the catcher the catcher goes along with it because when he gets his wristband and <laughs> analytics says Hey, this is pitch. so each pitcher has their own wristband and for the catcher. So when you bring in a new pitcher, the catcher has to put a, a wristband on or a card in his pocket for that particular pitcher for this team. So sometimes the bad boy runs it out. So now they get this card and it says, you know, 1 0 count to that hitter with this pitcher, it's slider. So it doesn't matter the situation because that catcher is now going to protect his butt. Because, hey, this is what they said to do, so this is what I'm going to call. And the pitcher's going to throw it because then it's not on him. Like, if it gets hit or he throws a ball, well, that's what they said to throw. So there's no situational awareness of what am I doing? They're just looking at a card. There it is. Okay, boom, boom, boom. So my argument to that is if everybody, everybody has the same information. Right? You can go on all these websites and get this different information. So if the hitter has the same information as the pitcher, and we're just going to call it by the analytics because that's what they say to do, well, guess what? The other team has the same information. Right. So now you put Albert Pohlholz up there, and you're going to throw that slider 2-0. Well, guess what? D- that's not A-ball anymore. No. Now, now it's not just a take-and-get-me-over-breaking ball. Now it's all of a sudden a double or a home run. Because they have the same information, and the pitcher knows that. So, what do they do? They rip it. They try to throw it as hard as they can, spin it as fast as they can. And if they make the best pitch in the world, and he's a good hitter, now we're three and zero. Now, what do we do?
1: Right. Well, that's you know, and and you think about this. Why are there wristbands? It's not only to call the game. Is they're paranoid of people stealing pitches? Right. Like that drives me freaking nuts. I yeah. never worried about – I didn't even worry about the guy at second base stealing my signs because if I saw him go into a stance that sent a sign, I would turn around and say, you're going to get the guy killed. Right. Well, yeah. Pretty soon well, the we, guy didn't freaking give any signs to the guy.
3: We were all aware of, of those things too. Plus yes. you, can,
1: you telling me you can steal a sign when, when, the catch, when the pitcher can change a sign in the middle of the freaking at bat? I mean, come on. Nobody's that
2: freaking smart. We don't have computers out there. Yeah, but see, there's the there's the other rub. So you have these things where they started with the wristbands all the way back. I remember at the end of my son, who's going to be twenty four years old, they started this wristband thing, and the coach, no signs at third, no signs. What? Hey, two twenty six, and then <laughs> every, everybody looks at their wristband, right? You yeah, two twenty six. Oh, that's oh, that's okay. That's what that is, and so nobody ever gets any signs. They don't understand. And so there's, there's this whole thing where you're getting guys in pro ball and you're teaching them things that I learned as a high school junior. Right. Yeah. they dumbed. It's been dumbed down. We know that. It's just dumbed down. You don't
3: allow
1: people to use their brain to teach them anything. There's there's no critical
3: thinking at all. And, you know, the point I always make is, is I was not a great student, but If I did the work and studied, I'd truly learn things. But if I cheated on a test, I never learned anything. And in essence, when somebody else is telling you how to play the game mentally, you're not learning anything.
2: No, because you don't think for yourself. Exactly. If you always have a coach telling you what the situation is, like how in the heck do you not know the situation? How do you not know you're up five runs in the eighth inning and you know what, here's a fastball. I remember Norm Charlton, and I'll never forget this, and I'm playing, he's our closer. He had just come back from, I think it was Tommy John in Philadelphia, and and we picked him up and he got his fastball back and he's throwing 93-94 left-hander. And I'm just a young guy, you know, hey, tell me what you want to do. And he would go out there and he said, if the tying run's not at the plate and we're not ahead in the count, it's a fastball. You don't even have to give a sign. Right. Now, that's a closer, right? He's right. getting paid to close. He's getting paid to, you know, have a low ERA and get strikeouts. And his whole thing was, I don't care. Here it comes. And there was times the guy would get in the box, and he's already coming and set. And he no, just grip it and rip it because – but that was the mentality. Yeah. He's not throwing a forkball one and oh to a guy when you're up three. No. He doesn't care if he gives up a solo home run. Right. Right. And that's right. and that's the stuff that we tried
1: to teach them in the minor leagues. But then it gets short circuited when the analytics gets
2: into it in the big leagues. You know, yeah. But the, the bad part is there's a lot of coaches buying into it, because as I found out, if you don't buy into it or if you don't at least give the impression of buying into it, then you're going to be gone and they'll find somebody else that will follow the rules. Hey, somebody else will come in here and and look at a playbook and 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 do things the way we want it done. You know, at the end of the day, would you rather win at, at playing the game right, or do you want to lose because you you know you you spun it right or you did this or you did it, it's it, it's crazy. It used to be the whole point of baseball was to score more runs than the other team. Right. Who cares how you do it?
1: Well, you know, you know, it, it's go ahead, Will.
3: No, I, I was just saying, thinking, you know, we all grew up in a time in the game as players. And then when Mark and I both have coached, and you have, Chris, where baseball people could sit in a room and agree to disagree and not get fired. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and you're able to exchange ideas and maybe learn something new. But now if you don't buy into the cookie-cut methods of everything that's being done now, And you ask a question, they go, well, this guy's a troublemaker. I think we need to get rid of him.
2: Yeah. Uh, You you look at Luber. Yeah,
3: exactly.
2: Lube's is, he's a little rough sometimes. He's a little too straightforward sometimes. Um, He's going to tell you what he thinks. Uh, At the end of the day, he's going to follow the rules. He might bend them like I did, but his pitchers performed. And they got the job done, and the, it started with fastball command. Well, there's no place for those guys anymore.
3: No, those who truly care about you aren't afraid to give you constructive criticism to make you better, and if you don't realize that they're trying to help you, then shame on you. Well, and you that's, know, why, that's why the game's gotten so bad.
1: Well, the, the rub is this, is that you you teach guys, and you – you present it to where they understand it's the truth. It's the truth. You show them when guys have been successful. I remember we had Chad Bettis. And right. one day he shut the Dodgers out, and I was there. And after the game, we were talking. And I said, Chad, fantastic game. He says, I said, you know why you were so successful today? And he said, well, I had a good changeup. I said, yeah, you did. But because you had a good changeup and you commanded your other pitches, you had no predictability. They couldn't sit on a pitch. They couldn't. They had no idea whether you're going to throw a changeup ahead or behind in the count. They had no idea. And I said, and it was really pretty easy, wasn't it? You were jamming guys with 90 mile an hour fastballs because they were worried about your changeup. Vice versa. You'd get them out with a fastball in, and all of a sudden they're starting to cheat, and then the changeup worked. I said, and I would show that to other players. I would show it just like pitching inside. I had this one pitcher on the big league, because I was the director of pitching operations and I travel with the big club a lot, I saw three of his starts. And one of his starts, he didn't really get out of the first inning too much, maybe second inning. And every pitch he threw, every pitch, not depending, not depending on the type of pitch, all pitches were thrown away to right-handed hitters, all of them. And they were killing him to right center. And he just kept going away, away, away. Then he had another game where he pitched well, and he pitched unpredictable in and out, in and out. And I showed him the two videos. I said, take a look at this. Everything's away. It didn't matter what you were throwing. They, did, they just eliminated the inside part of the plate because you never came in. And said, look at this game where you came in. And I said, now you're not predictable, and you had success. I mean, what else can I tell you? But what happens is that gets overrided. By the analytics, by the catcher trying to find, you know, follow the plan of an analytic, and uh, you know, I've had arguments with guys, catchers, and pitchers, and I convinced them and showed them what was right, and they still went back the other way.
3: You know, Mark. To that point, uh, I listened to Jim Cotts' uh, podcast last week, um, the and he was talking about you know, working fast and having like a three pitch plan to get a hitter out. And then if a guy makes an adjustment to a pitch, you know, right where you're going to go. It's a guy to pitch 20 years in the big leagues. He's in the hall of fame. He's a tremendous pitcher. And then the very next day I listened to a catcher that just retired two or three years ago on MLB network, who was complaining about the clock. Because he had so many progressions to go through on his wrist and that he couldn't come up with a game plan to truly get a hitter out. And I'm going, are you kidding me? I mean, we were taught at a young age to have a three-pitch plan, pitch to contact, you know, that way as a young starter, you wanted to finish what you started. That's why we had so many more complete games. And 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 now this this slowing down and dumbing the game where guys are looking at cards in their hats and You know, now the pitchers have have the little thing on their wrist where they can override a pitch, I guess. And everybody's got an electronic, you know, pretty soon they're going to look like the umpires. It takes them 45 minutes to get dressed. They have so many wires attached to them now.
1: Well, there's no investment in the pitch by anybody because they're just a robot following an analytic. And we all know when you're invested in something, it's way better to perform.
3: When you have conviction in what you're going to throw, you're going to make a better pitch than when you have conviction and no conviction in that pitch. Even if it's the wrong pitch, that's
0: That's exactly
3: right.
0: Chris, how will you run your squad with Sussex? I know you're going to be managing them. And actually your assistant coaches, I gave him his first coaching job, Mark Pappas. Um, Okay. Coach, love him. Great guy. He actually lived with us for two years while he coached, while he got his feet wet. But um, how will you run your – your battery in Sussex. Uh,
2: well, the same way uh, I ran it the last—I don't know—I started managing with Kansas City in 19, I guess, with Burlington short season team. Uh, I've always put it on my catcher, so I didn't—I didn't call throwovers. I've never called throwovers until the end of the game um, when guys needed help with a big base stealer and the game's tied or. You know, it's a bunting situation, which there's not a whole lot of those anymore anyway. But I didn't give throw over signs, slide step signs, that type of thing to my catchers since I've been with Kansas City. Uh, I always put it on my catchers. It's up to you to help your pitcher keep the guy close. And I know that this was probably a bad rub with some of my pitching coaches and obviously with coordinators and stuff. But I wanted the catchers to think about, The situation, is it a running situation? Should we be holding more? Should we be stepping off? Should we be throwing over? Which obviously changes with the new rules and everything. But that way, they weren't just looking over and blindly following me. Okay, call a throw over, call a throw over. I wanted them to think about what they were doing uh, so that they had an understanding of why they were doing it. And if they didn't call a throw over or if they called a throw over with the first baseman who's got no stolen bases kind of thing. They would come back to the dugout and say, uh, why'd you throw over? Well, we hadn't done it in a while. Well, so what? (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? It's it's not the situation. So it turned into a conversation, like, why are you doing something? I would rather them go out on the field and fail or make a mistake and then come to the dugout and then explain to them why it was wrong or why maybe another way was better. I didn't call pitches. I didn't want our pitching coaches to call pitches. I wanted that guy to call every pitch. Hey, this guy needs new more use more change ups today. But it's not. Hey, we throw a change up first pitch just because the pitching coach said we needed to throw more. Pick your spots. You know, understand the situation. And I think that they learned the game better that way because if you don't make your own mistakes, how in the hell are you ever supposed to learn?
3: Hey, hey, Chris. Last year I was uh, I we do organizations. I won't say the organization, but the pitchers have quotas for different pitches. And I was in there for six days in Wilmington watching this organization's pitchers, their starters, uh, and none of them wanted to ever use change-ups, but they had a quota, and they would go out in the fourth or fifth inning, whichever one was going to be their last inning, and they'd throw about six straight change-ups to start the inning. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and I watched this five of the six days because five of the six starters didn't ever want to use their changeup, didn't know how good of a pitch a changeup is to get guys off of your fastball. And you know, they all had six and seven RA's, and I'm going, boy, this is freaking beautiful.
2: <laughs> that's, that's what they that's what they're calling uh, player development now.
3: Yeah. Well, yeah so you
2: know, so instead of you know you have to use 12 change-ups in three innings. Well, let, let's use them in a situation to where it, we're not just throwing it to throw it, you know? Throw let's it off of your them. fastball first.
3: Right. Let, let's teach them when's the best time to use those 12 change-ups. Well, but that's,
2: that's where you go checking boxes, right? So yeah, did I do it? it? Yep, you go in the computer, check that one off. It's kind of like, hey, you, you're going to take infield – twice a week and do cutoff and relays once a week. It doesn't matter if your team needs it. It doesn't matter if your team's good at it, that you could use that time to do something else. Right. You have a checklist each yeah. week, and this is what you need to do. Right.
0: You yeah.
1: know, it's funny because, you know, a friend of mine got let go by the Toronto Blue Jays year a number of years ago. He was a pitching coach for 25 years or whatever. And uh, he got in hot water because, you know, he had – some of the best prospects they had. And uh he said, Mark, they throw 98. I said, but they have no secondary pitch they can throw for a strike. So we're taking one pitch at a time, trying to trying to get command. So we have command of two pitches. And he says, and they've they've told me they're going to move him up after the all-star break. And I go, how, how why are you moving him? He can't have success because he's a one-pitch guy. And he said, I need time. To and he says, no. His spin rate's great. His velocity's great. We're going to move him up. Exactly what you were saying. And he butted heads with him, and he lost his job because of it. Because it made no sense. You know, it made no sense because he knew what it would take to pitch at a higher level. I mean, how about these? I always laugh, and I always tell people, I go, you know, if you're going to have a guy that's going to be in the bullpen in the big leagues, you need to have him pitch at the back end in triple A and maybe throw two innings. I said, because you got to put him in the most pressure situation you can, because he's going to the big leagues where it's a way more pressure. But so many organizations take a guy that's a prospect and they throw him the sixth inning, one inning every other day or every third day, you know, like what is that? That's not Anybody can get a guy out for an inning. But yeah. do, they think, oh look, he did really well. You like, didn't do well. You didn't put him in a heat situation. When he goes to the big leagues. He's going to get mashed, you know.
2: Yeah. So now guys get called up from double A too. You know, you don't, yeah, yeah, exactly. you don't. Have to do the progression from A ball, double AA, A, triple A. You know, it used to be, you know, the only guys that go from double A the big leagues that's Alex Rodriguez and guys like that. Everybody else, you need that progression to get there. So whatever that that's just the way it is now. But so most teams i say most maybe not all but most teams relief pitchers do not throw back to back days they will not throw more than you know if they throw 30 pitches in a game they got to have at least one day off or two days off like i get that you're protecting people i get that there's so much money invested in these guys that that's the way you know you got to protect it but wouldn't you rather have a guy get hurt in the minor leagues where he's learning how to throw back-to-back days to prepare him for, you might throw three in a row in the big leagues. You might throw four out of six. So if you've never done it, you get to the big leagues. Now you get hurt. Now you're on the big league DL and you're paying a guy 700 and whatever thousand dollars minimum to be on the DL when we could have done that in Double A coming up, especially in AAA, teaching these guys, this is what it's like to pitch back-to-back. This is what it's like to pitch when you're not feeling great, when you're tight and you still got to crank it up for that second day and you have to go out there and be ready to pitch. We don't do any of that in the minor leagues, and then all of a sudden we're asking these guys to do it in the big leagues, and we wonder why everybody's getting hurt. We protect the crap out of them down there. You only make so many throws playing catch. You only make so many throws in the bullpen. And then you get to the big leagues, and what's the big league manager going to do? Hey, that's my short guy. He's in the eighth inning. What, he only threw 21 pitches yesterday. He's going to go out there and throw again. But the guy's never done it. No. Uh, you,
3: you no know, I, just, I was just going to say, that we talk about it on here all the time. How, how is that working out? We have more injuries than we've ever had. Why don't we let guys start throwing again and teach them how to throw in their roles that they're going to play in the big leagues? where a starting pitcher does throw 115, 120 pitches, and then you have real bullpen guys, some that you might use two days in a row because they have a hot hand, and now you're in the big leagues, and game wins do matter.
1: Well, when you limit innings, what you mentioned earlier, Will, about guys throwing at their best command velocity, you never never learn that. You never learn that. The other thing is when you have a – You know, so many teams go to where they're doing five-inning starters now in the big leagues. Well, let me ask you this. Do you train the guy to throw five innings in the minor leagues? Or is it going to be a little tougher in the big leagues? And maybe you had to have him push to six innings in the minor league, So you're a little bit more prepared. You're not as tired because it's tougher in the big leagues to throw five innings than it is in the minor leagues. It's (sighs) just, it's ass backwards. And people that make these decisions never pitched, never caught, never played to see what the good guys actually do. You know, know, good people. You caught a lot of really good pitchers, right? That's what I wanted to ask you, Chris. You got a lot of good pitchers. I mean, Hall of Fame guys, super. You know, Cy Young award-winning guys in the in the major leagues. I mean, think about those guys for a minute. They were horses. Don't we want to breed more horses and not just have one horse and then a bunch of little ponies that can't even go five innings?
2: Little chihuahuas. Well, what's a horse? Five five, six five, six-inning guy? No. You know what no. I mean? So uh, that's there, there aren't any horses anymore, and I'm not blaming that on the players. No. I'm blaming that on the system, and uh, there's there are guys that want to go out there and throw seven, eight innings. They're not allowed. Um, now there are guys out there that, hey, you they get through the fifth inning and they're looking down the bench. You are looking in the dugout. Can I, can I get out with my, you know, eight strikeouts, 110 pitches, and can I right. get out of the game now? So, yeah, I was – I guess the good news about uh, getting let go by so many teams is at least somebody else picked me up. So I, I got to play with so many different – I think there's 13 – Guys that are in the Hall of Fame now that I had a chance to play with. Uh, and awesome. the numbers are going to go up. And the the question I get most from people is, who's your favorite pitcher to catch? And, you know, and they guess Pedro Martinez or Randy Johnson or Roger Clemens or Mariano Rivera or Mike Mussina. And I say Mark Burley. Wow. Yeah. 100% Mark Burley. It's not even close. So did I catch him a lot? No. I might have caught him in a year and a half, eight starts, seven starts, whatever it is. You know, he shook off one pitch in seven starts to me. I'm just a backup guy. I'm backing up Brzezinski playing once a week, sometimes twice a week. Um, And Mark Burley did not care what he was throwing. All he wanted to do was think about making a pitch. So here's Mark Burley who throws – Consistently 88, might have touched 90 a handful of times. Little cutter, little curveball, little changeup. Worked his fastball both sides of the plate. Why was it so fun to catch Mark Burley? Well, number one, he threw 200-plus innings, I don't know, seven, eight years in a row. Right. Threw 241 year. He threw six-plus innings in 36 consecutive starts. So he had 36 consecutive, uh, I think it was wow. 36, um, quality starts. Six-plus innings, three or less runs. Wow. Didn't throw a whole lot of shutouts. But your team was in the game every time. He fielded his position, and he just had balls. Like, guy just – and did he make perfect pitches all the time? Nope. He gave up hits. He gave up home runs, and he got behind the mound, and he waited for the ball to come back in, and he got up on the mound, and he's like, okay, next guy in. Here we go. Yeah. So – it's it's like i i could take that guy and build my entire franchise around him because he knew how to pitch he wasn't scared and uh-huh. he could make pitches like it's a pretty simple philosophy and people say he he wouldn't survive in today's game well that's not he would, true he would do better in today's game right. that's why i said
1: we had Scotty mcgregor on our last show And I brought up Burley, and I brought up Kenny Rogers. I brought up all these guys, Tanana, guys back in our Randy
3: Randy Jones, guys like that. And I I said the
1: same same thing. I said with guys, with the swings they have now, they don't cut their swings down with two strikes. They've got this big lift. Those guys would just eat these guys up today. But you know what? We don't prize those guys in the minor
3: leagues.
2: No. So, no. so, do you know what a philosophy with with a lot of teams hitting is? And and I have firsthand because I, I this this is my biggest one. It's okay to take strike three. So not only not only is strikeouts okay, um, but strikeouts with a man on third base, with huh. less than two outs, and the infield back. If the pitch, they have these zones they put on their little iPads before games. What is your hot zone for this pitcher? This is where you're looking for the pitch. If you don't get that pitch then you and you don't swing and it's a strike and you just, hey, there you go, I I took two strikes, but you know what? You go back, you look at the iPad, and track man says that, oh, yeah, he made a good pitch down and away. That's okay not to swing at it. Well, now the guy's still on third base and there's two outs. But that's okay because it wasn't your pitch. So it's not about getting the job done. It's about you trying to hit a double or a home run. So the whole team aspect of the game, if you got guys pulling together, get out, Vinny Pasquantino, he, can I tell you how many ground balls he hit in the infield? Now, he he's big power guy. I mean, he's going to be a stud in the big leagues for a long time. And he would hit a ground ball to second base with a man on third base, and he'd be coming back high-fiving guys in the dugout. And that's frowned upon because Vinny's supposed to hit doubles and home runs. But Vinny is old school because he doesn't like to strike out. There's a guy 6'5", 235, has all the power in the world, and you look at him with two strikes, he's spread out and he chokes up a little bit. Yeah, Frank Thomas, who you probably played with too, right? Well, He was hurt the whole year in 05, so he was there, but I never got a chance to play with him.
3: You know, he didn't want to strike out. He's a big guy that could hit the ball over the fence,
2: but he wanted to be a good hitter first. I mean, nothing wrong with being a good hitter. (laughs) No, I mean, I I, I just don't understand. Because if you do that for the next guy, or even if you – I'm not saying give yourself up to get a guy over from second base. The game's changed. I get it. But if you try to hit a double to right center and mess up and hit a ground ball to the right side, and now the guy is on third base and the guy following you just has to hit a sack fly or just has to hit a ground ball, and if the guy ahead of you does it for you, at the end of the year, yeah, you didn't get that double in that one situation that's going to happen one out of 20 times but you know what? You've got eight, 10 more RBIs simply because everybody is playing the game the right way. But analytics will tell you that that doesn't work that way, that you're going to score less runs that way.
0: Chris, are the players feeling the same pressure as the coaches? You're kind of alluding to it. They're they're aware of this stuff. They're aware that they're being asked to do counterintuitive things, but um, how counterintuitive is it? Do do the players get that how they're playing is wrong? I, I hate to be absolute, but and how how early are they learning this stuff?
2: They're as soon as they get drafted. It's indoctrination, um, right, Chris? It's, I mean, yeah, it's so. I think
3: I've actually heard that word used on the radio and in interviews from analytic GMs that when we sign our players, we're really excited about sending them all to the complex to indoctrinate them into the analytics of the game.
2: Yeah, and and so Dave, to get back to what you asked me about how I'm going to handle my pitcher-catcher relationships in Sussex, it it all kind of ties together, for me anyway, this is my opinion, that if you learn to play the game the right way and you understand situations, now, you use your analytics. I mean, at the end of the day, we've always had analytics. It it was called something else. We didn't have the technology that we do now. Um, But you, you always did your advanced reports. You always watched film on the other guys. You always had first pitch swing percentage, you know, How many fastballs he puts in play, and we had that. We didn't have exit velocity, and but it was all there. It just wasn't. It didn't fill these guys' brains. So these guys get in, and from day one, this is what you're going to do. this This is what. This is how we do it. And this is how many swings you take before the game. And this is what you're going to do for a pregame routine. And this is this is. And what I think it does is it gives the player an excuse so hey i walked guys but yeah i had to throw that slider or or yeah you know don't as long as your spin rates are up you can walk people and you did this and oh you know what i'm only batting 220 but you know i'm doing it gives them this built in excuse so you go back and look at the track man and If you took strike three, it was too close to take, right? You didn't get the guy in from third base. It's not about what the pitcher did, the umpire did. Your job was to get the guy in from third base, period. Now they come back and they look at the track, man. It's right in the dugout. They can look at the iPad and they can look at the ball and the pitcher made a good pitch. And I have actually heard players say, good for him. Like meaning, oh, the pitcher made a good pitch. Can you imagine what Greg Maddox would do to those guys? (laughs) Sure. Greg oh, Maddox know, would out there. There. He'd be on, he, he, he'd have the easiest day in the world. This guy doesn't swing at the ball down and away. Here you go. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. You <laughs> know what I mean? It, it would be so much easy, easier for the guys who know where the ball's going. Yeah. Well, that's, The reason yeah. even hit the home runs now is because the pitcher has no freaking idea where the ball's going. You know, you know, you see the interview with some of these guys
3: now and they're, Batting average has dropped 45 points, but they're doing an interview with somebody and they're saying, but I'm seeing 5.3 pitches per at bat now.
1: <laughs> Who cares? Well, you know, our grades, you know, like we used to have performance grades have changed. Yeah. You, you know, performance now is all these other uh, other factors that analytics bring in. You know, whatever happened to lead in the league in wins or batting average or, innings pitched, uh, uh, you know, all these things that can still be calibrated don't matter anymore. So you get guys with seven earn run average going to the big leagues from AAA right. and they weren't even one of the best, best 50% of the pitchers in that league. Right. Numbers wise. Yeah. You know, my thing is, is that, Hey, stick the guy there. I don't care if it is the coast league, if it's the coast league and you have the most wins, you pitch the most innings, you've you hits for per innings or maybe it's always over innings pitched hits per innings in the coast yeah, what? you should still be better than most of the rest of the guys there's still a way to measure it but you know so you win 12 games and uh, you got a 550 year run average it may not be bad in that league you may be one of the top uh, pitchers but that's not what's happening
3: you no, it's it, 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 it's funny. I get the daily MLB.com notes on my organizations that I cover. And, 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 and you read the article on the game, and it's not about the performance. You get the exit velocities now. Uh, you know, so-and-so top prospect has had the third hardest hit ball this spring. Yeah. What is that about? And, and I'm going, are you kidding me? I don't care. Did he have a good at-bat? I, I,
0: I it's all the way around, guys. Right? That's what fielders with the the uh, throwing miles from shortstop, the hitters exit below, and the pitchers. Right? Everybody's chasing this max number. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah.
1: It's a it's a it's a freaking crazy crazy thing.
0: Well, I've got one for you guys, and and I do. Mark, you brought this up previous to the show. We, you were talking about one of the Facebook posts I put on analytics. It was a father writing me a question about how to connect with his son. The biggest misnomer out there about analytics, and and I, full disclosure, I have an advanced degree in analytics from an Ivy League school. I did it in jest. I'll share that story on the air one day. Um, I got a little spite in me being a short Italian guy from New York. But uh, when they say analytics are objective, the answer is no, they're not. They're as fallible as the person who created the formula. They have bias. So the, the formula has bias. And once we get past that, Maybe we can start thinking a little bit, but I didn't mean to digress there, but they, someone throws that at it, you guys out there. That's right away. No, they're not. Hey, they're
3: hey, well. Dave, Dave, I got a question. I've always thought that analytic people are like lawyers, that they can spin anything with words and numbers to make them always look smarter, but they never take any responsibility for the failure.
0: It's it's a way. and it, Well, here's the part that um, – what analytics used the right ways is words. It should be a story about what's happening. And that story should be created by guys like, like us, guys who've been there, who've played, who have experiences. And then the formula should be created to help the baseball guys do um, just have another kind of that 360 view around what they're doing. You've got what you see. You've got what your coaches see. Here's something that maybe you could be missing that we're just going to provide for you but it shouldn't be the whole story. And yeah, it can be, that's the part I don't like about one of the things is that the goalpost keeps moving to prove the formula right. And to me, that's, I call that a weapon of math destruction. Um, it's uh, it should not be that way. And that's why it gets such a bad name. And it's, it's the people that are using it that are bad. It's not so much the actual tool because you, I mean, we talk about it constantly. This didn't just get created last week. People have been using numbers and word stories for decades. Um, well, so it's, it's the way it's being used, the way it's being skewed, and it's you know, it as as Chris has so eloquently talked about it. It's it's made its way into what we love, professional baseball, and you guys see it day to day. So, um, yeah, sorry to kind of go up my soapbox there, but
3: no, that, yeah. no, grow all great points, Dave. You Chris,
0: know, is this affecting hitters too? I mean, as far as we talked about the strikeout, but you and I talked yesterday about batting average on balls in play. That's I got in a discussion with a, uh, a, a stat guy about that, and I asked him, "What's batting average on balls not put in play?" And it's zero. I mean, it's. I mean, how do you how do you promote one and not the other? How much of that has crept into the managerial bench coach uh, responsibilities? At- oh,
2: it, it's it, it's that constant battle because as a manager your guy's job and when he's up there with a runner in scoring position in a certain situation old school I guess you would say your job is to get the runner in get him over do whatever it takes because at the end of the day it's a team game but what what analytics has done has made it an individual game right it's it's about getting my numbers so the reason why they say it's okay to take a pitch that's not in your hot zone is because your chances of getting a hit on that pitch that's not in your hot zone are so much less. What's the difference if you hit a ground ball uh, out or if you strike out? There's no difference. Well, yes, there is a difference. Right. Because if you don't teach guys how to do that, it's different if you have Mike Trout up in the third inning. Uh, of a of a game that doesn't mean anything, and he's going to take a strike three because he's looking to hit a, a, a double or a home run somewhere with two outs, right? So he takes a, a pitch because he couldn't do anything with it, no big deal. But if Mike Trout comes up in the eighth inning and there's a guy on third base and the run means something, they have to know how to do that. So if you don't teach them how to do these things – How do you expect them to get to a big game in the playoffs in the big leagues when they've never done it because it's not important? And now you get to the big leagues and that guy's not going to beat us. Like, I'm not throwing him a ball down the middle. So you've never worked on it or practiced it or considered it important, but now you get to the playoffs. Now people are going to get on you because you didn't get the job done. Well, you just taught him for six years that he didn't have to do it. The bell never goes off. The bell never goes off because you were never learned. No. And so if you don't consistently do that stuff at times in the minor leagues, you're never going to be able to do it in the big leagues. You
3: know, the Astros have been the, what, five or four of the last six world series and have two world championship rings. Mm -hmm. And think about Alex Bregman, how many big hits he's had that have been ground balls between first and second and, or or, uh, against the shift with two strikes where he knows how to hit and he knows how important that is. And now he has Dusty Baker. And I think AJ Hinch knew how important in the playoffs that is to do the little things, which actually help you win games. But yet all year, we don't want to do the little things day in and day out over the long haul that might win us another eight to 10 games.
1: They don't realize the value in it. And, you know, to to uh, to expound a little bit on on every player that comes into professional baseball, less a few high school kids maybe, but they're all exposed to analytics before they ever show up, and and it's a crutch, like you mentioned, Chris, for a lot of these guys. You know, oh, I do this well. Well, you know what we tried to do with the Rockies, we brought them in, and we realized that these guys were going to be going to analytics, and if we didn't expose them and teach them the right way to evaluate it and what was important other than analytics, Um, they were going to go back to their gurus who got a hook into them with analytics as a young guy. and, uh, And they wouldn't listen to us. So there's a balance when you're teaching that in the minor leagues. There's nothing wrong with knowing that they're going to be exposed before you get them. But it's, you want to tell them, teach them how the right way to use it, and then the other things that are just as important, or more important than looking at these numbers.
0: Give an example, Mark.
1: Well, I'll give you an example of a uh, uh, we get uh, you know dra- top draft pick comes into the organization. He's been to every one of these you know camps growing up. He's been travel teams. He goes to uh, drive line, pays the money. His parents pay the money, he goes to driveline. So he is totally invested in thinking that's why he was a top draft pick, not that he had great physical tools. That's one thing. The other thing is, is that when we get him in there, we have experts on analytics Is referred to pitching. I won't talk about hitting because I'm not sure about how what we did on that. But with the pitching, we... Identified all the things that they'd been getting taught and what was useful, what wasn't, and then tried to have, like, basically courses with the guys to teach them the other things that were important and how important command was versus any kind of analytical uh, spin rate or velocity was. You know, you trade off of what is more important, uh, you know, whether it's presentations, video presentations, or 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 just discussions, uh, you could even use analytics and numbers on on uh, what you know the speed reaction of a hitter uh, when a ball's, a fastballs on the inside of the plate versus outside of the plate, those kind of analytics that they may have never thought about as a for it to sell them on pitching inside, you know uh, how to set hitters up you know the reaction to, to the hitter are they pulling balls over the dugout. You know things that are the eye can tell you too that maybe analytics doesn't.
0: I like that. Well, what about you? you, said you uh, yeah,
3: I I have a one that goes into the bizarro world. A second round pick in an organization I cover, college hitter who was a pretty good looking hitter when I first saw him in low A ball, and then halfway through the season uh, he was trying to improve his launch angle and ability to pull. And this kid had power gap to gap, and you know he's 21 years old. He doesn't have to start hitting home runs immediately, but the analytic people believe he does. Well, at this point, he's now he was now in his second year in low A ball, hitting 160, and uh, someone that works for his organization that play, played played tw- 15, 20 years in the big leagues. Managed in the big leagues, has been a special assistant and still goes through and tries to teach the kids and says, Hey, man, you're better than this. You're striking out 70% of the time. You're hitting 160. And the kid said, You don't get it. My launch angle and exit velocity, take a look at that. And this guy goes, Yeah, well, I'll add in all the swing and misses, and your exit velocity is going to come down to about 12 miles per hour.
0: (laughs) Yeah, backwards. uh, Chris, some of the other craziness we're seeing out there, and obviously being a great signal caller, how do you feel about the one knee catching? Hate it. Yeah. Um, I do too, by the way. I do too.
2: You know, can you catch the low pitch better? It makes it easier if you're not a very good catcher, right? So, again, it's a crutch. Like, you take Charlie O'Brien. He was the best I ever saw at receiving. I mean, he could could take bad pitches, and it still looked like – and you're looking from the side. You're going, wow, that looked like it was right down the middle. Um, They – it's easier. So they're not as good at catching because it's not as important anymore because you're supposed to hit and you're supposed to hit home runs and you're supposed to throw as hard as you can to second base and pop time and all this other stuff. But your first job from the beginning of time as a catcher was to take care of your pitcher. What do I have to do for my pitcher? Like if you're going to catch on one knee and not even give a target and put your glove on the ground, like how many pitchers want to not have a target like so it makes it easier for them to catch them can they throw from the sprinter starting stance to second base a good time yeah if the ball is where it's supposed to be if the ball gets outside of a catcher's body and he's on one knee all your timing and tempo is messed up with having to reach because now you can't move you have no flexibility in your legs you're stuck with a knee on the ground and now they don't throw. So they, they they throw these balls all over the place. Now, if you throw it down the middle, they can throw it good. If you throw it down the middle, they can catch it. If you throw it side to side, you're already on a knee. You can't block the ball. As a matter of fact, there's some teams that teach them don't even worry about blocking the ball, just try to pick it. Well, you know what? I'll give up four pitches that we can steal at the bottom of the zone to not give up two extra bases. Because as a pitcher, What's it feel like? You guys did this for how long? What's it mm-hmm. feel like with a man on first and going well, out versus a guy on second base? Now we're all of a sudden in a high-stress situation.
0: Horrible.
3: You know, you, know? you know, the, the, the other point, um, last year I think I had 10 throws by catchers all year long under two because the command is so bad and they're on one knee, they, they can't transfer and do everything because the pitcher never hits the target because there's never a target to hit.
2: And then you look at the pop time though. Oh, this guy throws a one eight. I yeah. played against one guy that threw a one eight and that was Pudge Rodriguez.
3: Yeah. yeah. And and at, never- at the perfect game event, he threw a one eight. And then in pro Bowl, they're all two Oh five to two one that I, that I end up seeing. And, 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 you know, you know, the other thing, we're trying to teach guys to steal strikes, and eventually we're going to have automated strike zones. So how are you going to steal a strike with a with a with a robot?
2: And that whole stealing strikes thing—that's all relative too, because maybe the umpire's bad, maybe, maybe he allows you to do that. Or maybe another guy that because they move their glove all over the place, like you go to an old school umpire and you're taking that ball that's shin high and you're raising it up to thigh high. That right. you, you you do that to, to Joe West and you see what he's going to tell you.
3: Yeah,
2: exactly. Right. So, you know what I mean. So
1: go ahead. No, I was just saying I had I had different catchers that I've dealt with, and I used to say, "Don't do that." I said, "You got a lot better." chance of stealing a strike a low strike if you just leave the glove and keep your hand up than raising it enough six inches are you shitting me yeah
2: ask the umpires how much they like a catcher can't block the ball oh, yeah. you know ask the pitcher who has that guy on third base and it's a big run and you got two strikes on the guy with two outs and the catcher's asking you to rip off a slider and you're the pitcher standing up there going crap if i do this is he going to block it Because if he doesn't block it, it's a wild pitch, and that's an earned run. And not only that, but I get the loss. So do I hang my slider because mentally I'm not sure if he can block it? Or do I just say, the hell with that pitch, I'm throwing a fastball? Like, that's what analytics can't tell you either.
1: No, exactly. And I I know, you know, we talk now you see him put a, a radar gun on the catcher on his throws to second base. You know, like, what his velocity is to second base? You know, I could give a shit. You know, I want him to get it down there accurately. You know, quicker is better. You
2: and ask Mike Matheny about that. How many how many millions of dollars did he make and how many gold gloves did he make? And he had an average at best arm. Right. Like I backed him up for a year and I'd watch him. Like, man, even after my shoulder surgery, like I got a lot better arm than him. And I'm 30 plus years old still. And then I'm watching him just come up, exchange, hit the guy in the chest. If the pitcher gave him a chance, guess what? Guys out. At a 205 and a 202. And it was he didn't take errors, he didn't miss the ball, he blocked everything. Dan Wilson was the same way. You could throw the ball, it didn't matter and they knew that Dan was going to block it. They knew that he was going to be back there for the pitcher. And how many catchers are out there right now that they're looking at that guy and going, "I don't care what I'm hitting. I don't care about anything else. My job is to get this pitcher through this inning." And I'll bet you there's not many of them. No, that's- so
1: you try to preach it, but you know, there's so many outside influences. I remember when I was a early years as a pitching coach with the Indians, and we had Joel Skinner, who was our backup catcher to Sandy Alomar. And uh Joel kind of hurt his arm. And he was known for that was one of the reasons why he was a backup catcher, because he was known he had a cannon for an arm. And he and all of a sudden Sandy Alomar went down and and uh Joel had to catch every day. And because was his arm hurt, he couldn't throw hard like he used to. And he threw everybody out. And he told me, he goes, Mark, all these years I've been throwing the hell out of the ball. And he says, and everybody says, oh, I, I got a great arm. He goes, I'm way better now when I'm just more efficient because I can't throw hard anymore.
3: Mark, Mark, you remember, for me, it was growing up, and you probably played against him, but Thurman Munson. Oh, know, yeah. I, I mean, he would play the tail, and every throw would be on the bag. You would never teach anybody to throw the way he threw, but it worked. He controlled the running game at a time when guys stole bases.
2: Yep. Yep. Well. <clears throat> well, yeah, well, it- Well. The the game has has, has changed so much and, and I think the what we do and we could sit here and talk for three or four hours about this, at least I could, because it drives right. me nuts. I'm only fifty, gonna be fifty-two years old, but there's a certain way you play the game, all of these other things, analytics and film and, and advanced reports and, and all this other stuff, so they don't even have advanced scouts anymore, right? You're just yeah. doing everything by computer or whatever, so you don't right. get a feel. But it takes so much out of the game because baseball at the end of the day is about stats and numbers, but it's about so much more than that. And the games are hard to watch and they're long, in my opinion, not because of the pitchers can't throw strikes, right? So if you can't throw strikes, you can't have a quick game. And so now they have to, again, do something. They change the rules because we can't play the game the right way. So, okay, we can't throw strikes and we can't field the ball or we can't do this. You know what? Just change the rules and we'll try to speed it up that way instead of changing up the philosophy to what worked for 150 years. And again, like it's a great game, but if you're just going to, you might as well play it on a computer. Well, everybody put their headset on and we'll sit at home and, and, and we'll play, we'll play video games and and we'll call that the winner.
1: I mean, years ago, you know, we had video and and everybody, pitchers used to watch the best pitchers. And if there was a best pitcher that had a similar style to yours, you would study him to see, you know, this Cy Young Award winner, well, you know, what's he doing that I could do or I could incorporate? Well, now there's no value to that because they're not allowed to pitch like those guys anymore. They're not allowed to go deep into games. They're not allowed to do the things, uh, take charge of a game. Um, give the bullpen a day off. They're not allowed to do what all the Jim Palmers and Maddoxes and people like that did throughout their whole career. And those are the people we were trying to be like, even though most of us couldn't, we could at least incorporate some of it. Now, I, I would doubt if any of the the young pitchers today in the game that are major league pitchers ever go back and look at Maddox or Clemens or anybody.
2: Well, if you think about like uh... – everybody thought Mariano Rivera for, for an example. Um, you know, why was Mariano Rivera so good and everybody, well, man, that was a nasty cutter. And was it a nasty cutter? It was, was there other guys in baseball that had that good a cutter? Absolutely. Some guys, Jason Isringhausen had a nasty, nasty cutter at, 94 95 miles an hour. So why was Mariano Rivera so good? If people go w- back and just watch the film, watch where he throws his cutter. He would front door at the right handers, inside the left handers, back door. He knew where it was going. So was his stuff electric and unbelievable? And but why is he the best closer in the history of baseball? Because he, he threw the it. damn thing where it was supposed to go. Yeah, if he take his cutter yeah. and throw it down the middle. He's not in the Hall of Fame.
3: 80, you know, Chris, I, I think I got about 50 reports on him over the years. And it was the 80 command because the velocity on the cutter went from 96, 97 down to 91, to 93. But the command never left being an eight.
2: No, so he pitched for 20 years, right? I mean... <laughs>
3: Yeah, and then there was the predictability
1: again. You couldn't predict where, what side of the plate, and where it was going to no, go. Exactly. Even, even though it was the
3: same pitch. And then, and, and and then, when he got older, all of a sudden he broke out some two seamers that sold off some right-handers. That go, wait, this is not fair.
2: He came up with that in 2002 when I was in spring training.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I, I remember it and going, "What?" And you know what? It was a, it was an actual two seamer.
1: Yeah, exactly. He'd probably still be pitching today if you really wanted to,
2: right? It, it's it's amazing, but he, it, all those best pitchers, you know, you look at them, and and people still want to just say the stuff. Well, there's a lot of guys that have stuff. Oh but yeah, you know, it's, look
3: how long, look how long Bartolo Colon pitched pretty well in the big leagues, and his stuff had backed up to the point where you know he had he was a right hander with below average fastball, who was throwing close to two hundred innings every year. At, at in his
2: forties.
1: And yeah, he was right. throwing two seamers and commanded
2: them both sides.
3: <laughs> exactly. And,
2: and it goes back it. to Maddox too, right? Maddox, yeah. everybody, he's he's the what did he he threw the ball where it was supposed to go. He would gladly give in the first three innings five ground balls so he could go into the eighth inning with
0: eighty pitches. Right, That's
2: right. throwing ninety miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah. You know, What's they the were you know, today.
0: What's the mindset with these young guys today? How On hard?
3: How hard, How, you know, what, you know, what's my spin rate? What's uh, what's the shape on my pitch? You know, I, uh, you know, if you make a good pitch and you don't know, you've just made a good pitch, then you have no feel for what you're doing.
2: No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, They, you know, they, they, they each up in the zone now, right? Everything's up in the zone, up in the zone, up in the zone. Well, up in the zone at 96, 97 gets a lot of swings and misses after you establish down in the zone and change the eye level. So if you live up in the zone, up in the zone, up in the zone, you miss a little bit, it's a home run. That's if you're the, down in the zone and then you get swings and misses, but analytics doesn't explain that part.
1: No, no, they don't explain that. They you just go to the well. And I go, you know, major league hitters are there for a reason. You know, they can make adjustments too. Right. You know, if, right. You, if, if, if they're missing a pitch down and away, they're going to start looking out there and sitting on it until they can get a bat on it and hit it hard. But, you know, the analytics guys say, well, you know, you're, you can go, you know, it's like you're pitching to a kid, you know, like you can keep doing the same thing and he'll never make an adjustment. Well, that's not why they're in the big leagues.
3: Right. You know, the journey to the out pitch is what makes it the out pitch and they don't get that. They just think that, well, you're, you're going to have to throw 78% sliders this year because that was your out pitch. Well, last year, I loosen the hitter up to make my slider effective.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a there's a there's a way that you pitch, and they you know if you're if you're looking at your wristband and and it says this guy can't hit the pitch in, for example, uh, you know you can get him in. Well, can my pitcher get that ball there? So yeah. if I'm O and O, am I going to start with a fastball in because analytics says so, or? Am I going to make a quality pitch down and away to get to zero and one? So now I have two or three chances to go inside, and I don't have to be perfect because I know I'm not good at it. So exactly. the catchers, yeah. So the catcher who knows that pitcher can't do it calls it anyway because that's what analytics says. And now we're one and zero. And now what do we do? Absolutely, that's
1: exactly what happens all the time, and that's the arguments I've had with catchers. You know, Mark, said, you know, you know, he know, can't go in there. You, you know, he can't do this and you're asking him to do it
3: because analytics told you to. That's why everybody's different. You've got to handle this guy differently. You know, and, and Mark, you had the whole thing when, when I first started working for you as a pitching coach, teaching kids about how to move the plate that, that like Chris said, that first pitch, when he looks out there and maybe his body starts to lean and go, okay, they're trying to get me out, out there. Well, as you're leaning out there, you don't have to throw a pitch on the black if he's leaning and looking out there and diving or vice versa, where you speed him up inside, and now you just make a pitch on the outer part of the plate down, and you're going to get him out.
1: Well, how about the guys not using mistakes? Oh, yeah. Use a mistake because that can reinforce, you know, unintentionally, that can reinforce uh, where you want to go. You know, if yeah. you were trying to go in earlier in the count and you missed and you accidentally went away, right. now you've got four pitches you went away with. You weren't planning on it. But guess what? That inside pitch is even more easier and more valuable now.
3: Yeah, well, you are, You remember the night one of our guys in Colorado, I won't mention his name, that liked to pitch away, away, away only, threw a backup slider and broke a bat in half. He would already yes. given up six runs. And then he went right back away and got knocked out later in the inning. And I called you and go, does anybody pay attention? That they, they know that's where he's going? They're diving and nobody's going to recognize that?
1: Okay, I will tell the one deal that I observed. You remember when Washington was in the playoffs to go to the yeah. World Series against the Cardinals? Yeah. Who was that guy closing for the Cardinals? I mean, for the uh, for the uh, Washington? Um
3: Oh, when they brought Drew Storin in instead of leaving the guy. uh,
1: Storin comes in the game, and the Cardinals started hitting everything the other way because he threw everything down and away. Yep. Everything. Yep. And he accidentally got one inside and jammed the shit out of a guy. Right. But he Right back out there and stayed out there until they lost the game in the, the World Series because he never pitched in and they were and it was so obvious because they were hitting everything to right field. It was unbelievable. I'm going just go in. Right. Well, he made he made one mistake that was in and jammed the guy, but he never went back in there. The whole inning and they ended up losing. I'm going, I'm going crazy. I said I'm I'm running out to the mound as a pitching coach and I'm going wait a minute. You got to start freaking coming in. Because can't you see what's happening? Nobody saw it. the The bench didn't see it. The catcher didn't see it. The pitcher didn't see it. Maybe because they had in their mind, oh, he's always successful, just going down and away.
2: <laughs> How many guys you see? The pitchers throw a fastball, and the right hander fouls it off over the first base dugout, and they immediately come back with an off speed pitch.
3: Oh, all the time. Uh,
2: you know, it and it happens. Big leagues, A ball, Double A. And you, and you the guys come in, you're like, why did we call that? Right. Well, I was trying to throw a breaking ball out of the zone. Well, how about just throwing another fastball? The guy's right. not even close. But, hey, you know, why watch the guy? Why make adjustments in the middle of the game when it's easier just to follow a script and then, hey, it's off my hands. It's not my problem. I, I did what it said.
0: Such is the world here. I know it's yeah. – uh, you have gone for about an hour, almost an hour and twenty. We kept you overtime, Chris. It's
2: unbelievable! I got, I got
1: the. I want to do a last quote. I've used it before. I okay. think. I, think
0: I, got, I want to get one more for Chris. I got something. We our audience wants one to more ask.
1: For Chris, go ahead.
0: Okay. With um, so we've got grassroots kids listening to this, and now it's up to fifty nine countries, um, all the way from eight year olds to the national teams. We've talked about kind of the state of the game here today, and and, and the great ideas as to how to improve it. What would be your message to a young developing, let's just say catcher, because you're a great signal caller. I've got a young catcher in my house right now. What's your message to these young kids as they're trying to develop and make their way in this game today with all this confusion going on? What would your, what would your thoughts uh, be?
2: The, the same as it was when I came up. Keep it simple. Teach. Learn your fundamentals. Learn your body. Um, Learn how to, if you can learn how to do all of the things old school, old school quotes. I'm making quotes here with my fingers. If you can learn how to catch on two feet, uh, if you can learn how to control the bat uh, and hit a ground ball on purpose, if you can, can learn your body, learn your swing first, and then after you learn all of that stuff, you can add in all the analytics stuff. You can add in anything you want to do. It's tough to learn how to bunt later in your career. It's tough to learn when and how to steal. It's tough to learn the situation of the game because if you're trying to learn that as you get up to college ball and for the select few when they get to pro ball, it's too late because the game is speeding up so much that now, shoot, I'm just trying to survive on the field with this, and now you're putting this stuff in my head. If you learn the physical stuff about your body, a solid fundamental swing, a solid fundamental fielding, don't work on making the Derek Jeter play in the hole. Learn to use your hands first. Learn your footwork at second base. As a catcher, footwork. How do you block the ball? How do you receive the ball? If you can do all that stuff, the rest of the game becomes so much easier. It's so hard for these guys when we draft them. And now we're trying to change and we're trying to fix all these flaws they have. And then on top of it, we're giving them pages and pages and pages of stuff from analytics and from spin rates. If you don't know where your fastball is going as a pitcher, how are you supposed to work on the other stuff? If you can't throw a strike, like the game becomes so much more difficult. Just do your basic fundamentals first, learn yourself, and all the other stuff is for later. They try to do everything with these poor kids, and they're overwhelmed, and and they they end up failing, and God knows how many guys never make it even to college to play because we've overwhelmed them and changed them and given them this drill and that drill and this PVC pipe and that and do all this other stuff when they don't even know the basic fundamentals of how to play the game. Right.
3: So, you know, Cal Ripken Sr. said something. My first instruction, I wrote it down. I always bring it up on here. He always, he said, if you do all the little things right, you never have any big problems. And, and we're, we're, we're overlooking all the little things, chasing all these shiny objects, but all the little things that actually make it a good game and make a good player are being ignored.
2: Yeah, you, know, you can't strike a guy out on the first pitch, right? You got to get the two strikes first. So don't throw your two strike slider on the first pitch. I mean, it's it's simple stuff that, it's yeah. not taught, right?
1: Yeah. Well, it was so great having you on, Chris. Man, we could talk yes, for about four
2: hours. Yeah, about I, I love this stuff.
1: It's it's unbelievable, uh, you know, and it's nice to hear it from somebody that played that's managed our, you know, young people today, um, you know, you have such a good insight in in where it's come and where it's gone and where we'd like to see it go back. Um, I'm going to finish with a quote. I've used this before on our broadcast because it's appropriate. Um, Mark Twain, he said, there's lies, there's damn lies, and there's statistics. (laughs) Back then, you know, I mean, think about it. Mark Twain, there wasn't an analytics to the to this extent back in those days, but he even saw it.
2: Right. Yep. Uh, it's it's a it's a hard game to play, but it's 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 a simple game to play. And we've made it complicated, which makes the game so much more difficult. And I actually feel bad for the young players now because they it's not fair.
1: No, it isn't. It isn't and it's all, they think it's making it easier, but it's making it harder. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, Dave, we might've lost Dave here for a yeah. minute.
2: Yeah. He got, tired, he got tired of hearing us talk, right? No, he,
3: he might. Yeah. I think you back in Dave. He's back in.
2: So at the end of the day, analytics is a good tool, yeah. but just like video, just like advanced scouting, it's all a tool. To make the guy a better player, it's not an end-all, be-all.
1: No, and you have to be learned. They have to learn how to use it.
0: Yeah.
3: Okay, Dave, we've wrapped it up, baby.
2: Thanks for having me anytime.
3: Yeah, awesome job, Chris. Great.